So hello and welcome listeners and for the first time very excitingly viewers. Uh, so we've brushed our hair, we've done our makeup, uh, John's beard is ready. Uh, welcome to the Medical Protection Podcast. Uh, we'll be bringing you both the podcast you'd expect but also a new thing called a vodcast. Um, you need to think about it like a behind the scenes view. So if you've ever wondered what faces are behind these voices, now's your chance to find out. Uh, you can access the vodcast via the links in the description. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Grant, and today I want to take you back to a familiar topic, which is speaking up for respect and well-being. Um, we focused on this earlier in the year, and now that some time has passed, we thought it might be interesting to revisit it to prompt our regular listeners to consider what changes you might have made and what impacts it's had for you. Now, we're not going to go through the, the top tips or highlights from other previous podcasts, but instead I'm speaking with the wonderful Professor John Sanders uh, uh, to explore his research which is titled Performance Resilience Enhancement by Solution and Strengths-Based Training, or PREST for short, you'll be glad to hear. Um, John is a recipient of one of the research grants from the NPS Foundation. And just to mention the foundation, this is a global not-for-profit research initiative um, founded by NPS. Uh, we aim to shape the future of patient safety and the well-being of healthcare professionals and teams. And they sponsor a number of topics globally uh, with a focus on private hospital, outpatient practice and dental care environments. Um, so with that being said, I'd like to say hello to John. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Okay, thank you, Katie. And um, I've obviously mentioned the title of your topic, which is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> but could you, for perhaps the non-experts uh, who are listening, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience and how you started sort of research in this area? Sure. Um, my background initially was in hospital medicine, and then I moved into general practice. But um, I was in the halcyon days when actually GPs were quite involved um, with direct patient care. So we, I used to do a lot of GP obstetrics, um, actually, you know, involved with the deliveries, starting off in deliveries. So uh, I've always been interested in how doctors perform. Yeah. But equally so, I've been always aware of the impact in which feeling stressed, or anxious can actually impair your performance. Now, and particularly during the performance, when it's not going right, how do you actually help yourself? But also the impact immediately afterwards, and also the fact that over a period of time, the more anxious you become, it, it starts to impair your performance long term. Yeah. So I've always been particularly interested in that area. Hmm. Um, I then became more and more interested in training doctors and eventually became uh, a part-time academic and then uh, eventually uh, moved into uh, medical education as, as a more of an academic subject. Yeah. And during my, some of my uh, discussions with colleagues, we became interested in what's called marginal gains theory. And this came from work related to the Sky um, cycling team because there Beresford talked about you only needed to make a very small change, yeah. lots of small changes to make a major change. And so I, um, I was working with some colleagues um, and we wrote an article about it. Mm. We became more interested in how sports could actually um, develop both the skills of doctors to cope yeah. with the stress that they were under and, and, and how to deal with it before, during and after doing particular uh, challenging situations, which all doc which many doctors face. Yeah. <clears throat> and then we started to do some work with anaesthetists. And 
the models they tended to use were, were, were coming from aviation, but yeah. that didn't. A, aviation is is quite a. Uh, it, it goes through numerous checklists, and although that's useful, um, we, we felt that sports is, is is much more fluid and open. Yeah. So we then started to become more interested in well, can we learn anything from sportsmen? So we then put, uh, conducted um, a systematic review of how sports psychology had been used yeah. in, um, in, in, in training doctors. And we found that there were several interventions, but there wasn't the perfect intervention. There were still gaps in the knowledge. And then I had a PhD student who was interested in this area, who was an anaesthetist as well. So she developed a model which started to look at how to use particular skills before, during a procedure. So, for example, yeah. um, if you look at um, a footballer who's going to kick a goal, to try yeah. uh, to score a goal, that as they get, get go up to the ball, they are, you'll see that they often stop, they take a good breath in, they seem to focus on that, what they're doing is is blocking out all the outside noise, all the, uh, the fans chanting at them. That, that they going through their mind, they're also telling themselves, "I've done this a hundred times before. I know what it is." They visualise what a perfect kick is, yeah. the the stride that they do, the strength of it, where they're going to aim for, and then they do it. And these are called pre-performance routines. And we found that junior doctors actually do use similar techniques to to sport so we, we became even more interested in this and at Edgehill University we have a strong sports psychology department so yeah. I've been chatting to them and they were, were particularly interested in what's called talent development because what they found is that for athletes and that includes all sportsmen. It's, it's a general term people tend to use. Yeah. That there were differences between highly successful performers yeah. and not so successful performers. And these were quite a range of techniques before, during, and after an event. And so there were things like getting ready on the day of the event before they're doing things. Yeah. There were things which, if they were whatever they were doing, whether they were playing football, tennis, they were using particular what's called pre-performance routines that they were yeah. going through just before they're going to do it. So this is very closely around performance, and that's why we use the term performance resilience. Yeah, it's a term which we've coined because then it's resilience very much focused on doing a particular sports task, and then afterwards, how you know what are they telling themselves afterwards? Are they beating yeah. themselves up? So what we were interested in is whether we could apply some of this work to doctors. Yeah. So we thought, well, how can we best do that? Doctors are, most doctors are probably doing some of these skills. The question is, are they doing them all the time? And yeah. some research from elite sportsmen is that they are quite variable on how they do these skills. So they're not consistent in using them. So we wanted to try and develop an approach to see whether to, to help people to use these skills 
more consistently. So the first thing is, well, could we use an identity uh, existing tools in sport yeah to help individuals to identify their particular strengths what are they using what are these skills that they're using yeah and then once they've identified them is how can they build them up and how can they maintain using those so we were fortunate to get one of these mpsf uh, medical protection society foundation um development grants which will allow us to first of all do some work to see you know is this actually just rubbish you know it, it seems a good idea it's a good place to start isn't it is this actually just that's rubbish? right <laughs> so we want to do some interviews yes and then what Great. we want to do is to then from those interviews decide which of the categories in one of the sports questionnaires that is widely used and has been validated in sportsmen yeah. what questions are seem to be relevant to their particular uh, context as being a doctor because obviously yeah. it talks of things like match play during this and during that it's because it's designed for sportsmen but i'm sure that yeah. we can um, adapt it and develop it so we're going to develop that questionnaire related to the medical context particularly in surgeons and anaesthetists and obstetricians yeah and then what we intend to do is to then administer that to a large range of people in those yeah. groups. Ideally, what we would like is several hundred. So first of all, we've got a survey tool yeah. to find out the extent, but also we can then find um, the, the, what's called the, the validation of that questionnaire. Once we've got that, we can then develop a, a bespoke training package for doctors with the sports psychologists, which helps individuals to identify which of these um, uh, areas in the questionnaire yeah. are strengths and not, and not so much strengths. And then the areas which they haven't got so much strengths in, they can, we can give them hints on how to develop it. Yeah. What we found from the review on using some aspects of sports psychology, it tends to be pretty didactic. So basically yeah. you're given a whole range of things and told, you know, just do those. But actually, we all know that if it's not relevant to the individual, yeah, you could you, you either forget about most of them, or yeah. you just ignore them. So yeah. this is very much about as individual strengths based, and that's why we use the word strengths based. Great. So going back, so you talked about something like pre-performance routines and visualization. Um, what are the other, because again, I've, I've got a friend who's a surgeon. I just texted him before we did yeah. this and said, do you have any pre-surgical yeah. routines? And he said, I wash my hands. Genuinely, that is, yeah. his, is his answer. And, and I was an anaesthetist. And occasionally I had to, I, I would literally go in and talk to myself in the mirror if I was trying to egg myself, you know, if there was a really difficult case yeah. coming up, I occasionally would go and say, come on, you can do this. Um, more out of desperation, I think, than anything else. So this, to me, makes sense, but I'm not sure that um, I've ever consciously thought about routines. So what yeah. what other things are, are you thinking to transfer? So you've got the pre-performance routines. So you said about the sportsman taking a penalty kick or the footballer, sorry, sports yeah. person, taking a penalty kick, the footballer. Um, you said they may do a breath. They may, you know, I see when you watch the TV, you see them doing like signs or they may be um, saying a prayer. You know, what, what do these routines consist of or are they a real mix of things they're a real mix of things and the thing about it is that what we found from our review 
which was mainly surgeons. Yeah. That most of the work has been done in surgeons, and most of the work has been done in America okay. by one or two particular groups. That's yeah. all. And what they've done, they've developed a package which teaches about 10 of these. But in fact, if you look at sportsmen, yeah. they have their own idiosyncratic approaches, which they find particularly works. And work with Olympic athletes in Finland by Hanin has shown that, in fact, individuals have usually two or three which they consider, which they repeatedly use and which they find really works. The difficulty with the sportsmen is that they don't consistently use them. So, and, and, and you don't, they don't tend to use them when they're actually under a lot of stress, yes. that, that they sort of, you know, that the stress takes over and they forget to use them. So the argument um, is the fact that you don't need to learn all of them. You, you just need to identify which ones you're, you particularly you find useful what most people find useful are visualization yeah you know go it, it, there's like this internal video camera movie goes on i've done that before and you see yourself i've done this before i've done that before sorry just to clarify so if i was going to do a difficult intubation for example i would go through the steps of my preparation the equipment and then i would yeah. sort of in my head i would visualize what i'm going to do i'm going to put the oxygen on 100 percent you know, so you'd literally go through each step of the process. Is that is that what you well, mean by Well, you can vision? do that, but also yeah. you can visualise that the times when you've done it really successful, these difficult things. So in, oh, so you like are the bringing, winning. In, yeah. Yes, you, you bring back mm. the memories of when you were highly successful. Oh, gosh. See, that so, to me so, is very alien as an anaesthetist. It's always uh, the worst. Yes. <laughs> You're preparing for the worst. I don't think I've ever thought, well, it worked that time, so it's going to work this time. It's yeah. always, well, it worked that time, but I was probably yeah. just lucky. <laughs> So that's, that's a real mind shift, I think, particularly for perhaps uh, those yeah. of us who may be of that more um, negative end of a scale, I would say. Um, okay, well, so visualising. <laughs> yes, go ahead. As I say, doctors t t t tend to um, be either super confident and not, uh, or the opposite. Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, and we see that no more, uh, in no more clear clarity than in a trainee anaesthetist. So you've got the, you do your novice period, so you do a, a few weeks supervised, yeah. and then one, one lot will go off and merrily do their own thing. And then there's the other end yeah. of things who are very cautious. And ultimately, I think people level out once, you know, experience yeah. has sort of, uh, has brought them to more of a, an even keel. Um, so you're almost so you're you're actually visualizing. Uh, so if you were a footballer, you're visualizing that penalty being scored. Sorry, I'm not a football fan, but you know you're visualizing yeah. the goal, uh, a goal being scored, or you're visualizing you know the successful outcome of your intubation. So it's not necessarily the steps; it's actually thinking about when you've done it and you've got it in the you know well, in the right spot. It can be a mixture that... of both. Uh, okay. Some people go through repeatedly the steps. Yeah. And and what it feels like doing it is it's. it's, it's, it's it, I know we're calling it visualization. Yeah. It, it's it, it's sort of reenacting it. Yes. It, it's it's for athletes particularly. They they tend to also focus on sort of the muscle that the muscle you know that that feel of 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 of, of running up to the ball that at the yeah. at, uh, so they're getting sort of the muscles prepared, the mentally prepared. So they're reenacting that process. Yeah. They are, but they also often visualize success as well. Gosh. And there's evidence this works in sportsmen. Yes. Okay. There's evidence that it works in doctors as well. Yes. But but unfortunately, not every person 
does a lot of visualization. Yeah. If well, they do visualization, it's useful. It might be a useful skill, but some people don't tend to use visualization very much. What they do, yeah. they block everything out. Yes. So they almost create a quiet zone for themselves. So thought blocking, that it's it's about, you know, they block out not just people's speech, but the environment. Yeah. You know, the fact that I've you've got onlookers. Yeah. You, you, you block out onlookers. You, you, you yeah. block out all the chatter people, yes. you know, uh, uh, around you. You, you just yeah. focus and, uh, and do that. The other thing is you start blocking out thought blocking where, where you know, you're telling yourself. This is the um, particularly, you know, um, Peters's work on uh, about the chimp. Rarely, you, you stop the the chimp on your shoulder telling yes. you, you know, you, you're useless and all this sort of stuff. You know, I mean, that's that's like the CBT style. I mean, yeah. I certainly, I was thinking about inner voice and monologue, um, because I'm amazed that uh, you know my husband, for example, doesn't have an inner monologue. He was saying, whereas I've got this constant, constant. I know yeah. it sounds. I've got almost a constant stream of saying. You know, if I go and meet someone, I'll be like, oh, why did you say that? You're such a idiot whatever i have this like virtually all the time and my husband has nothing like it so yeah. can you learn techniques then to turn off this inner critic yes and Just also the opposite <laughs> yeah. also the opposite to to give yourself the positive <laughs> so you can learn the techniques and the thing about it is if if you if you don't do it you may, it might be useful to learn the technique yeah but you may do it but you're not doing it all the time and particularly when yes. the going gets tough so that, yeah, that's that's what's important window. to identify as well okay and each so one is, is is a marginal gain uh, which yes. is interesting so each one can actually contribute to that yeah and we talk about marginal gains we have a virtual workshop that's beating burnout which is available for all our members free of charge so it's two hours and we talk about uh you know the, the british cycling success and these marginal gains like you say the things like even having your own pillow so you sleep better teaching uh the cyclists to wash their hands properly yeah. so they get less bugs and things and i think there's that to me you know that's really appealing anything that you can do that's a small step that can have a really yeah. big cumulative effect um i'm interested so you talked about this idiosyncratic um they have their idiosyncrasies their own sort of preparation routines yeah do, do you do people teach sports persons to select those or i mean how do you learn to have an effective routine is what i'm trying to ask you or can you learn yeah. well if you chat to the sports psychologists this is where yeah. the debate is the majority of sports psychologists appear and i'm not a sports psychologist i'm only giving it hearsay but what they say yeah. is that most of them teach only one or two techniques oh, and that's, okay. that's what the sports psychologists believe in and teaching so what you find in the research is that it's a quite a lot of it is still didactic this is the way yeah. that i think you should do it and they just train them and train them and train them with one or two or or a, or a few techniques Some so it might them, be visualization or that might yeah. be uh, yeah. you know before you do anything or you take a big breath right. ground yourself type thing okay great yeah some so of they're them telling them what they think will work yeah and yeah. some of them teach a whole variety of them yeah. and tell them to do all of them Gosh. but the the but the, the trouble is is that if you look at the research of them those particular yeah. approaches it doesn't work for everybody these systems yeah. so then 
they've been looking at, well, why doesn't it work? Yeah. You know, it works once it works for some people. So why doesn't it work yes, for others? It for what others. it appears yeah. to be is the fact that there's a thing called old way, new way. As we've mm. always said, it's difficult to teach an old dog new tricks. So once you get into using a yeah. particular routine, which is idiosyncratic. Yeah. Why are you bothering to teach them? a new technique because they've already developed that technique. Most people, I know you were talking about your husband not doing this in a dialogue, but he's probably doing something else. Most people do something. And the work that um, Helen did with junior doctors is that across the group of junior doctors, okay, it was only a small number, but they were using slightly different techniques, the doctors were themselves as well. And there's a group of sports psychologists, particularly by Hanin in Finland, who actually said, you know, we need to focus on the idiosyncratic approaches and make sure that they use them more consistently. And he says that yeah. what individuals need is to be in this zone of optimization, he calls it, okay. where the, 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 their performance is optimized and it's consistent. Yeah. That's what that's what makes, he says, makes the difference between the really good performers and the not so yeah. good performers. They are consistently good. So every time yeah. they're out there, it's working. They, they don't have the dips. So it may not be what necessarily you're doing, but it's the fact you're doing it consistently and that it works for you yes. to enhance your... Mm. So I'm if it's get not back working, to your... you might need yeah. to develop a technique, a new technique, yes. that's <laughs> what he would say. So therefore, you need to identify, see whether it, yes. check whether it's working or not. And if it isn't, well, you could try another technique. And that's why we, we, we're suggesting this self um, sort of awareness questionnaire or self-awareness approach yeah. rather than just giving a didactic course on this is how you should do it. Yes, because this is what I'm interested because this sounds great. And I think all, all medics would like to be compared to elite sports pe- persons, right? You know, we're, yeah. I think there is, a, there is a lot of comparison. You know, you're at that point, particularly in surgery and obstetrics and anaesthesia groups you're going to be looking at. You know, there's that point where you've got to do something, you've got to do it right. Otherwise, mm. you know, there's really serious outcomes. Mm. The thing I'm not, you know, the, my inner cynic is saying, this sounds great, John, but the resource and the time and the training, um, do you think this is a feasible thing? That junior doctors will, you know, will have the resources even to, to, you know, be supported to develop this. Well, I think there are. Well, I, I think that there's several issues. First yeah. of all, can people be trained, and how much training do you yeah. need? In Helen's PhD, junior doctors certainly improved their, basically, their, their self confidence in using these yeah. techniques and managing. But it, the, yeah. the group wasn't large enough to have specific measures. Yeah. If you then okay. look it at, at it in surgeons, there's no doubt that using some of these techniques improves surgical skills. The problem is mm. it tends to be quite reductionist in surgical skills. That, that, now, so it's, it's, it's not sort of whole operations. These are things like suturing yeah. under pressure and things like that, you know, you're so using various models or virtual reality yeah. and things. But yeah. there is evidence to show that that, that it, it, it is teachable in doctors. Okay. And yeah. if you look at how many sessions, this is where the difficulty starts coming because the research is quite heterogeneous. Yeah. If you look at it from sports people, what they would recommend is that you have an like all training, 
you initially you develop some awareness yeah you develop some skills and then yeah. you put that repeatedly into action yourself and then after a period of time you're, you you see where you're going now we're not going to have the opportunity in this particular research project because it's only for a year yeah and that's all we have uh, the funding for we're only going to be able to develop the initial sort of phase one yeah. of it all um once we've got that it what we will be then looking at is actually rolling this out yeah and measuring these types of outcomes in a in a longer term and yeah. what we would see in an ideal system is that it would be more like a coaching model so yeah. you get a group of doctors and it could be part of all training yes. so actually you, th th there is some sort of general discussion there's some video and then they, they practice it themselves and then yeah. there's some coaching and we say well who's going to do that coaching well one opportunity could actually be sports sports psychologists mm. yeah and i hope you know there's not too many sports psychologists um, sort of reading this but if you look at the number of people who yeah. do sports and sports psychology at university it's quite high yeah but how many of them actually become highly involved yeah. in in sports psychology the majority of people end up doing things like becoming personal trainers yeah working in sports centers becoming sports teachers and you know there's no reason why you can't have a performance coach within a particular yeah. you know a, a trust because the amount yeah. of money that the wages is, is comparable to any other allied health professional and in fact sports yeah. psychologists you know can be regarded sports psychologists are, are already employed within the health area but but what they tend mm. to focus on is things like exercise to improve you know mental well-being so so there is this uh, cohort yeah. there but like most things individual psychologists have particular research interests yeah so this i mean i wish we could talk longer john because this sounds fascinating i really want to know how this is progressing because obviously members are going to be involved with the questionnaires and yes. research um, and obviously, I think we could all probably learn some stuff from this, whether we're practicing or not. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to summarize. So basically, you're doing this year long project. Um, you're looking at sports psychology approaches in medicine, particularly anesthetics, obstetrics and surgeons, uh, with the hope that uh, this will potentially lead to developing personalized plans, basically, for doctors to have their own um, techniques, uh, which will help prove their improve performance uh, you said it builds self-confidence and presumably it can reduce burnout is that yes is that some of the evidence well Hopefully. absolutely i mean yeah we know that if you're not performing well yeah it, i mean doctors have a high conscientious index um because the, the, the biggest success factor at, at university in the big five personality your personality yeah. trait is being highly conscientious and that okay. that is what you need to be the flip side to it is that you tend to beat yourself up when things go wrong yes. so mm -hmm. 
when you beat yourself up going wrong, that has a major impact, obviously, on your mental health and general well-being. Yeah. And, okay, there are other factors as well, because if there are other aspects in your life are going on. But if we focus yeah. around sport uh, and, and performance, we know that sportsmen go through exactly the same that they're beating themselves yeah. up afterwards. And, you know, it's, it's how do they bounce back as well? So actually the questionnaire does identify some of these aspects. Yeah. So it's about, you know, how do they prepare themselves before they're doing things, you know, getting yeah. into that frame? How do they, yeah. as they're about to do a task, the performance, get themselves into the optimum? And then yeah. afterwards... You know, how do they stop? How, how, do they stop, how do they stop beating themselves up afterwards? You know, yeah. so use it productively. Learn from failure yes. as opposed to making it dragging yourself. That's down. right. So what we're trying to do is to create this package and then create yeah. some videos. And obviously, as we're doing that, we want to be developing it with future yeah. users to ensure that it, what yeah. we're providing is relevant. And fortunately, we've got sports psychologists who are, are experienced in running this type of work and do coaching for elite athletes. So I'm sure that we can create a relevant package by the end of it. And that's what we intend to do by the end of the year. We intend to have yeah. basically two major outputs. One is the questionnaire that's, re that's validated that we can use for doctors as a self yeah. as, as a self-assessment tool, but also as a survey tool. And also a, a, this this series of videos which are the basis of a training package the next level ah. is to then have a training package which we then yeah. begin to evaluate implement and evaluate great john thank you so much. i think we need to get you back to hear about the outcomes of the questionnaire because i think i've got so many more questions uh, and it's a really fascinating area and it sounds like actually it could be applied to lots of <laughs> non-medics as well right you know we all even in our own lives, I think we could all do with more resilience and perhaps, yeah, turning off that in critic. So thanks so much, John. Okay, um, thank you. So we're reaching the end of today's podcast and you've been listening and maybe even watching uh, Professor John Sanders. Um, we hope the conversation has been really interesting and helped you consider how far you might have come on your own journey to improve your well-being and maybe start thinking about techniques you can use in your own workplace to build that resilience. Um, once more, today's conversation can be viewed as a video recording uh, and for the recording and more information, please take a look in the podcast description below. I've been your host, Katie Grant, and thank you so much for joining us. <laughs>